Welcome to Served Neat, hosted by your girl, Jen Hartman. I'm the CEO of Neat, a boutique PR and marketing agency based out of Louisville, Kentucky. I launched Neat in 2019 with just $3,000 in my bank account. Since then, I've had the opportunity to work with hundreds of emerging brands and Fortune 500 empires. I believe that marketing and PR should be served neat, just like your favorite bourbon. On this podcast, you'll hear about the latest and greatest growth strategies, the ups and the downs of entrepreneurship, and so much more. Pour yourself a glass of your favorite bourbon because it's time to dive in to this week's episode. In today's episode, I had the opportunity to chat with Ellie Puckett. Ellie is the host of Renegade Ventures podcast. She's on a mission to close the gender wealth gap through business acquisition. Ellie spent 10 years in the startup world and coached hundreds of startup founders and even ran a tech startup accelerator. She realized that there's a ton of information out there on how to start a business, but most people have no clue how a business is bought or sold. Ellie is here to guide business owners through the process and encourage more people, especially women and people of color, to become acquisition entrepreneurs. In this two-part interview, you'll hear me chat with Ellie about buying and selling businesses. She'll answer questions like what makes a business sellable? How do you evaluate your business? And even what businesses make the best purchases? Ellie is truly a wealth of knowledge and she gave so much value in both episodes. You guys are going to love this conversation. All right, let's dive in. I want to start this conversation off with you just sharing your journey of becoming a business broker. And then I also know that you bought a business. So tell us a bit more about your journey. Yeah. So I spent 10 years in technology startup and I felt like I knew everything about how to start a business. I have a degree in entrepreneurship. I was an early employee and founder in several technology companies. And I even ran the Office of Entrepreneurship for the state of Kentucky. And we spent so much time teaching people how to start businesses. But after being a part of several technology startup blowups, because they're super fun and great for the beginning of a career, but they are really unstable, I actually kind of fell into watching a angel investor do a acquisition deal of a business that had been around for for 15 or 20 years, it had solid revenue. And this investor was buying this company and going to digitally transform it. And this blew my mind. It had never even occurred to me to buy an existing business and much less that it could be done on a scale that I could afford myself. So his exposure first let me realize that this was a thing that happened amongst people and investors. But then the second part of that was that buying a business was a lot more accessible than a lot of people think that you actually only need 10% down in many cases to buy a business. And so all of a sudden buying a business that did a million dollars in revenue became a business that actually only sold for $500,000, which then became something that I needed $50,000 for. And it was just this progression of learning that led me to understanding that there was so much more that was possible. So I actually left my career in technology startups and began to look at buying a business and got obsessed with the transaction aspect of it and became a business broker and became an advocate that more women game of buying and selling businesses because this is a way that we can begin to close that gender wealth gap. And so that's kind of my new thing, super passionate about it and looking to just aid more people in the process of buying and selling businesses. 
I love that. Okay. Can we touch on some of the myths around buying a business? I, for one, thought that it would just be so expensive to buy a business. You would have to have millions upon millions of dollars to buy a business, but it doesn't seem to be the case. What other myths do you hear? Do you see when it comes to buying businesses? Yeah. So I think the number one is that it's super expensive. We hear about these technology startups selling for billions of dollars and not have made a dime. And so you make this assumption that businesses are sold on a multiple of their revenue. But in reality, businesses are sold mostly on a multiple of their EBITDA, which is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. Anyways, that fancy word means is a lot closer to net income than it is to revenue. It's revenue minus expenses plus some things added back. And so the number that people think that a business sells for is actually a lot less. It's not a business that does a million dollars in revenue likely will not sell for a million dollars. And so it is one of those moments that those myths that you assume you need a million dollars at a minimum to buy a million dollar business. When in reality, a million dollars probably does about $250,000 in EBITDA. And that is maybe sold at a multiple of two to three. And so we're talking $500,000 to $750,000. This still sounds like a lot of money, but then you put in that factor that when you're buying a business, you can get a business loan. And I think a lot of us who have started businesses think that getting a business loan is impossible, but it turns out that getting a business loan for a business that already has revenue is actually not nearly as difficult as getting a new business loan. And there's a set of multiple myths in there, right? That it's expensive, that it's hard to get a loan, that it sells on a multiple of the revenue. And all of these things basically disqualify it as an option in our brains before we've even explored it. And so those are some of the main myths that I think people experience. Interesting. Thank you so much for covering those. What are some really great businesses to buy? Is it boring businesses like laundry mats or car washes, or is it something a bit different? Yeah. So I think that there has been a growth in this understanding that boring businesses are actually really interesting acquisitions. And there's a lot of talk about the laundromat and the car wash. And I think that's because these are things that we're all familiar with. But as a whole, I would say it is businesses that serve our communities in their day-to-day -day needs. And it can be a laundromat, but in somewhere like Louisville, that might actually not be the best option because of our geography and the fact that the majority of our apartments have have laundry units in the apartment now. So it's not that that's maybe a bad business. It's probably still a decent one, but there are a lot more than just laundry mats and car washes. There's small manufacturers. There are dog grooming businesses. There are things that you might interact with that are business to consumer. And then there are tons of businesses that you don't even realize exist that are business to business. One interesting one that I saw in the beginning of this was a business that washed the linens for a hospital. You wouldn't know that they actually outsource that service. But think about what a sustainable revenue generating business it is to wash the linens for a hospital. Is it boring? Yes. Does it make bank? Absolutely. So there are so many more businesses out there that serve needs that our community has that you might interact with on a daily basis and not even think about it as a potential option as something to buy. That was great. Okay. I love that one. 
Let's talk about buying businesses when you're already a business owner. So for example, we'll just use me for an example. So I'm the founder of Neat and we do PR and marketing, but something that complements that really well are creative services like graphic design, websites, videography, photography, things like that. So in the future, I would really love to buy a creative agency and buy their book of clients, buy their team. I think that would be a really incredible compliment to Neat and what we're already doing. What advice would you give to a founder like me who already has a business and is thinking about wanting to grow their own business by buying other businesses that could fall underneath their primary business, if that question makes sense. Yeah, it absolutely does. And this is what we call strategic buyers. So a strategic buyer is someone who already has a business in that vein or in that realm and is strategically buying something that's either in their pipeline or even in a direct competitor of theirs or in a different market. And so they are trying to strategically expand. And I think that this is a underutilized option for a lot of small business owners. So we get in this growth chicken before the egg thing where as business owners, we don't know, should we hire someone so that we can take on more work and then sell that work? Should we kill our current team and expand and then try to hire it in? And so you kind of get in this loophole of how do I grow if I don't have the revenue yet to hire the new person? Do I hire the person and take the risk or do I grow the work and have too much for my team and risk the quality. So you can get in this loop when actually taking on a strategic acquisition, buying a competitor or something that's in a business adjacent, you can expand your business and your team overnight. So you would start to look for things that are complementary, that team's cultures match yours, even reach out to someone in that you currently refer to on a regular basis and see if they would be interested in selling their business to you. That way you can actually grow with your client base and your revenue and your team very quickly, but also you can finance that acquisition of those people in a way that you would not be able to go to a bank and say, I want to hire someone. Can I have a business loan? And so this is one of those moments again, where that strategy lines up of, I can actually take on this strategic debt with a bank in a way that the bank is happy with, grow my asset and my revenue and pay that acquisition back over time. And the business's revenue, the business that you just acquired, its own revenue is actually paying its own loan. So what you're on the hook for is really just the down payment. So as long as that business continues to grow, it pays its own loan and you got people and you got its revenue all in one nice little package. So I think it's very smart for someone like you to go about that process in that way. I love that. Okay. So now of course I have more questions about this. Okay. Someone like me, because I know I have other people listening to this podcast who are in similar positions and who are like, well, you know, I want to get to that $5 million, $10 million mark. I'd love to buy another business to get there. What exactly are we looking for? Are we looking at the length of some of the contracts they have with their clients? What types of clients they have? The overall contract, is it a $10,000 contract, a $50,000 contract? Are we looking at some of their team members, how many employees they have? What are we looking at to say, this is going to be a successful acquisition or, Ooh, this might not be the best business to buy. Yeah. So that is, that process is called the due diligence part of the process. And one of the, you would be looking at all of those aspects and have a kind of theory or strategy going in on what's best for you. So you might think that customer retention over time is something that you would be looking at. Or another one that people often look at is the diversity of customer set. So how much of their customer base is in one client? And maybe you really want that one client, but it's 50% of their total business, which is a risk, but that might be 
something that's good for you, or it might be that you want to acquire a significant number more clients because it's smaller amounts of money, but that is more diversified and therefore less risky. One of the most undervalued part about a strategic acquisition though, that business owners really need to tune into is the team that you are acquiring. Very quickly and very easily, you can spend a bunch of money acquiring a business that seemingly on paper matches yours, but then you try to integrate those two teams together. And if you're acquiring one that's almost worked totally in person and only print while you all only do digital, that team and your team might not actually meld that way. Your processes and systems. I think a lot of entrepreneurs right now are in a completely virtual atmosphere working off of Slack or Notion or these other tools. And you go acquire a business that's only ever worked in person and they work totally in person through the entirety of COVID. You need to really assess whether or not those employees and those people are capable and willing to changing to your systems and processes? Or are you capable and willing as a leader to bend on your current system and processes to accommodate this new team of people? Because a lot of acquisitions go sideways after the fact because a bunch of the team leaves and you have to make sure that that transition of those people, those which are the asset in which you are buying, have a good and smooth transition. So that would be the place I would spend a lot of time. Yes, we would look at financials. We would look at customer concentration. We would look at how they fit into your pipeline and your process and your vertical. That would also very much look at the team. Okay. This sounds so complex. And I feel like this is probably where a business broker comes into play. Like you would probably think about a lot that I wouldn't think about as a founder. How do people go about working with business brokers? Like how do you get paid? How do you work with clients? Like explain that process. Yeah, so we have two sides to us. One is called buy side and one is called sell side. The majority of our clients come to us in that sell side because paying us as a buyer is normally only happening with strategic buyers. So someone like that's a first-time buyer that's going to buy their full-time job isn't likely going to have the money to pay a broker to be their full representative and source all of their deals for them. So the majority of our clients are what's called sell side and we are paid a commission when that business closes. And so there is a down payment and there might be some strategic consulting work in there, but the majority of our money is made on the closing of that business. We are compensated when that business owner sells that company. From a buy side agreement, we are often working with strategic buyers. We have one right now who is buying daycares. They have bought 11 daycares since 2021, and they are taking their knowledge and the few that they've acquired, creating systems and processes around daycares. They are paying me as as a business broker to work a list of daycares that are locally owned in their communities. They have a radius and we are contacting those daycares and saying, have you ever considered selling? This is what we're looking for. And so those are two kind of ways that we go about working with a business owner. Okay. Very interesting. Thanks for sharing. I mean, you kind of touched on this a little bit, but is there a Facebook marketplace of businesses being sold? How does one go about seeing what's being sold at this given time? Yeah. So there are a couple of like public domain places. One's called bizbysell.com, one's Business Nexus. These are great places for you to explore and learn about businesses that are selling and how the language and see good deals that are, I would say, sub a million in sale price. If you start to look even above 500,000 into above a million in sale price, that is when you need to start making relationships with brokers, bankers, 
CPAs, et cetera. A lot of these deals never hit a market. There isn't a common law of business brokers the way that there are in real estate. So in real estate, you're going to go look at the platforms and it's all going to be available. That isn't true with businesses because business owners want to protect their asset. And that means that their employees and staff don't need to know that they're selling their business until this is real. It can take nine to 12 months from the day that they say, I am absolutely ready to sell their business before it is sold. And also they don't want their employees or their customers to know that they're going to sell that business. So it is a much more secretive NDA related process. We are talking about people's tax returns and the amount of money that they made. And these are private businesses. So you really do have to create relationships to get tipped off that a business is considering selling. You will have to sign an NDA to see more about that business. What you're going to see online is basic information about cash flow, income levels, and the general industry. But that's about it. Okay, cool. Good to know. Good to know. It is funny. I've worked with, of course, real estate agents. I've worked with insurance brokers. And then we met recently and I was like, business brokers? There's people who do this thing? Like, that is so cool. And I just didn't know how that process worked. I didn't know how you got paid. So that was really insightful. The last question I want to ask when it comes to actually buying a business is, can you just touch on the different financing options for purchasing a business? Yeah, there is as many options as you can be creative, but then there are what is normal. So the beauty of buying a business is there are so many options that if you are willing to get creative and push a deal through, we can figure it out. It is a figure it out style world. Then there is what is happens most of the time and what is normal. And so what happens most of the time and what is normal, often a SBA, Small Business Administration 7A program. And that program is what most of the acquisitions are done through. You would work with a traditional bank. The SBA is guaranteeing that loan, but you would still be working with a bank that does SBA loans. And some big ones are Huntington Bank. We work a lot with one called Credit Bench. There's these banks that do SBA loans. And that process is you would need to show them that you have the 10% down and a little bit more for debt coverage and some fees, et cetera, they would validate the business's financials and kind of pre-approve and work through that due diligence process of appraising the business and getting that deal done. There are commercial lenders that will do small business deals. There are seller-based financing is very big in small business lending, which means either all of it or some small portion will actually be a loan from the owner of the business. And this is important to lenders that the business owner transitions to the new owner well. And so that is why you will see the seller be on the hook for at least some small portion of that finance deal. And so it might not be a lot, but it normally is some amount will be a part of the deal to make sure it transitions well. And then it could be the entirety of the deal. So if the business is very small and the SBA isn't willing to do that loan, the seller could still sell that business and finance that deal themselves. And so this is where I'm talking about it can get incredibly interesting. There are things called special purpose vehicles and people that you can raise money from investors by a small business. There are lots of options, but the majority of people are going for a conventional loan or an SBA 7A loan. And that's the way that they're doing the deal. Most of the time, the terms are 10 years. If there's real estate included, it can get to be as much as 25 years, but most of the time it's a 10 year loan. Okay. That's interesting. I feel like I'm learning so much during this conversation. If you 
you enjoyed learning all about how to buy a business, you're going to want to listen to next week's episode on how to actually sell a business. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode with Ellie Puckett. In the meantime, make sure to connect with Ellie on social media and check out her podcast. I'll catch you guys next week. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Served Need. I hope you enjoyed listening and found some tasty nuggets of marketing wisdom to help you take your brand to the next level. Remember, just like a perfectly crafted cocktail, marketing is all about finding the right balance and serving it up with a splash of creativity. So keep building, keep refining, and keep serving up your brand with style. And if you're thirsty for more insights, be sure to subscribe and join us for our next episode of Served Need. Until then, cheers. Cheers.